Welcome to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to spend our time in Luke chapter 7. But before we get started, as we always do, we're going to look at uh, some of those comments from the Talk It Over section. The first uh, comment, uh, in this case they're just more comments, was Mike Van Fleet who said, Lord, I pray my faith can be as strong as the woman at Jesus' feet. Lord, let my vision of the cross and all you did for us never be blinded like a Pharisee. Very powerful prayer because what we want to do in this, uh, and I and I think I know Mike's heart, is not um, to pass some sort of strange judgment on the Pharisee, but instead to look at it and say, I want to I want to see what Jesus wants me to see. I think that's Mike's mm-hmm. heart and Mike's point. The next one actually comes via text. Jerry Clust asks the question. This happens to uh, find its root in Acts chapter 16, but he asks the question, why did God forbid preaching the gospel in Asia? Why does God forbid preaching the gospel in Asia? It comes from Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 6. Uh, This is what uh, Luke records here. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And then it says in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, there's a couple of ways I think people uh, read this, and and one is in a very skeptical way that would say, why would God not want His gospel uh, to to go out into all the world? Why why would He prevent the gospel, if you will, from being spread? And and I think that that's a very strange way to read that. I think uh, the best way or the most honest way to read it would simply be to say that God. Uh, God forbade uh, Paul from going to Asia. It doesn't say that he didn't want the gospel preached there. And so right. the way the way I see it, Paul says elsewhere in Romans 15 that that he wants to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, that he would not be building on someone else's foundation. And we do see uh, that God had people in the Asia area, and it would it would make more sense to read it that God did not want Paul to go there because God already had uh, people there planting that foundation or or building that foundation. And meanwhile, verse 9 uh, goes on uh, in Acts 16, uh, goes on to show us that God was calling Paul to a specific ministry area. So he's calling him to Macedonia. This, this really gets to... Uh, uh, an important question, I believe, in how we interpret the scripture. Sometimes we can uh, we can read something and not ask uh, enough questions of the text, and God's not intimidated by our questions, and and so it's really important to keep asking hard questions of the text and say things like, "I love Jerry's question right off the bat." Number one, well, why would God do this? But the second question, I think, that naturally should come is to say. Is God somehow truly forbidding the gospel to be preached? No. Instead, he's he's saying that Paul can't go there. And mm-hmm. why is he saying that Paul can't go there? Here's where the questions roll out. 
Paul has another mission, and God already has his ministers planted there. So I think that's... That makes good sense. Uh, uh, ...an important way to look at that. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump right into Luke chapter 7. And as Barney and I, and I have talked this morning, wow, there's a lot here. So buckle up. There is a lot here. And uh, the first thing that we read here is about uh, uh, Luke uh, relaying a, an account of, the, of a centurion who had a, a slave who was sick unto death. He was about to die, it says in verse 2. And uh, when, he heard, when he heard about Jesus, now this was an interesting account. It was an account that, that uh, we don't ordinarily see because this, and we're going to talk about this centur- centurion, but he, when he heard about Jesus, he, it says that he sent some of the Jewish elders asking him, Christ to come and save the life of his slave. So we'll we'll jump right into that. The first thing that we I want to jump into really quickly is this uh, centur- centurion has been called many many times. Every time I read something about him, uh, or mo- almost every time, he is called a Roman centur- centurion, and that was not the case. Uh, history will show us that that this man was. Uh, of the of the army, he was in the royal army of Herod Antipas. So he was an officer, uh, a high-ranking officer in that army. At this time in this area, the uh, Romans had no military folks there. So he was not a Roman centurion. He was a centurion of the army of the royal army of Herod Antipas. So with that being said, it, we we read that that this man. Sent, uh, sent for some of the uh, Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come and heal his slave. Yeah. So first, first, just some confirmation on that, right? Um, the, the idea here is that a centurion uh, in the Roman army was an officer who was in charge of 100 men. That's the, that's the title centurion. They're in charge of 100 men. And six centurions and their men served under a tribune, right? So there, there's another name that you, mm-hmm. can, you can see. Uh, but as Barney has rightly put out, uh, in this instance, the centurion was not serving in a direct Roman in military capacity because Roman soldiers weren't even stationed in Capernaum. <laughs> yeah. So apparently no Roman forces reside in Galilee until AD 44. Exactly. I mean, we're yeah. we're much later in this time before we have a Roman occupation. So as a result, they were they were there in in the service, or there was someone in the service of Herod Antipas who uh, who used non Jewish soldiers later. So, but the point still remains that um, he he may be a Gentile, but he's not mm-hmm. a Roman. Yeah. So it's Certainly. it's really important. Certainly, yeah, it seems to be that he was a uh, Gentile. At uh, uh, so uh, the 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 other important note here in this is that this man evidently had some standing with not only and and he was he seemed to be a gentile and and most commentators or most scholars believe that this man was greek was most likely a greek but uh he seemed to have some standing with the jewish elders because he had asked them to go and have jesus to come and they did that. Yeah. So in verse 3, we see it. He sent some of the Jewish elders asking him, asking Jesus, to come and to save the life of his slave. Now, uh, that, that to me is powerful in that, in that he, he has this concern. 
or this care Mm -hmm. for his slave. Verse four, uh, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he is worthy of you to grant this to him. Now there's some really interesting language right there. He is worthy of you to grant this to him for he loves our nation. And it was he who built us our synagogue. And now we're dealing with this. Uh, should we get our our healing or, or anything we ask for because we've earned it? But go yes. ahead. Well, I, I, I think it's important that we go back and try and glean everything we can glean from this, as, as we know, from not only from Scripture, of course, the, the main place, but we're, but some history in this as well. This man had evidently, as best we know, and as best that scholars and some, uh, some history will tell us, that he, he, he could very well have been a man who either gave money to the uh, Jewish folks to help build, build a synagogue. There was more than one synagogue in that area, Jewish writers. I I'm, I believe that there, though there are even two there today, one of them being an ancient synagogue. So there is a chance that this man had some standing with them, and where it, where he was, uh, he had uh, uh, he he was sympathetic to the Jewish people, uh, loved them evidently, yes. and had a great respect for them, and and may have even given them money to help build this. So. That's uh, that was their stand and and worthy of this. He, he loves our he, they the, these guys said he loves our nation. So here is a man that not only has compassion on a slave, and he is a Gentile, and he loves the Jewish people and loves the nation of the Jewish people. Yeah, I think the uh, for me, I, I love all of this kind of uh, what we're seeing about the heart of the man. But it is interesting that what comes next is that the entourage that was sent seems to uh, lean on the, um, the, the worthiness of this man. Yes. And, and I, I find this interesting in the New American Commentary. Uh, it says that the term deserves should not be interpreted to mean earned or merited, which is what it seems like it's saying right off the bat. It just seems like that's what's happening. As the replies of the centurion in 7.6, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Mm-hmm. And 7.7, seven, mm-hmm. I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, reveal. Mm-hmm. So the reason why that there's a lot in this language, in this kind of who's worthy language, is that... On the surface, it seems like it seems like that's what's being said, but that's not actually what the language would mm-hmm. indicate, or at least not what further uh, verses would indicate of the centurion himself. And so the New American uh, Commentary would go on and say that Jesus commented on the centurion's faith rather than his good works indicates that deserves is not understood. Uh, meritoriously. So we're not right, dealing with right. a merit. There's something about this man really did have a kind of faith. He yes. was he was trusting in some way. Yes. So. This this man was quite evidently, it seems to be an extraordinary man. The, the first thing I see about him is that these 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 Jews were speaking highly of him. And but when you hear his interaction with Christ, you see you see a a humble man, a, a, a a man that had has said, and we'll get down to that, that, that he didn't even, uh, he said that he wasn't even worthy to have Jesus come into his house. Yes. Now there, it, there again, the man being a Gentile, uh, Jesus 
the the there it, this this was not in the uh, mosaic mosaic law, but the Jews had had in their uh, uh, in, in in some of their bylaws, if you will, some of the things that the rabbis had written down over the years that a, that a Jew could not enter the house of a Gentile, and so I, I don't know if that was on. On Jesus' mind, I doubt it, but I, I don't know. Absolutely. But but I, I I I love what this what this man does in verse six. And now Jesus had started on his way with them, with his entourage. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, "Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof." Hmm. My, what a yes. statement! Yes, there's a lot of humility in this man, and his statement continues. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So now we have a reason why he sent these Jewish elders, because he, he views himself as unworthy, and then says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And now we're going to turn the corner and, and start to discover uh, the faith of this particular mm-hmm. centurion, this particular individual, because... He believes something about the ability for Jesus to command a thing to be done, to say the word, and his servant will be healed. So verse 8, for I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. Remember, he's a centurion. Mm -hmm. And I said to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, and and I love this, Mm -hmm. I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Now, we're going to see a continued uh, recurrence of this idea where Jesus is praising those who accept him from outside the Jewish world. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. going to see we're going to see this continued praising of people who who accepted him for who he was. Mm-hmm. And and this is going to eventually unravel and start um, offending people, but still still it still remains that what Jesus says directly of this man is that in all of Israel he's not found mm-hmm. such great faith. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite amazing in that the man was a Gentile. Yes. And he's and he and 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 this this man did have great faith. And to me, the fact that Jesus, it says that he marveled at it. There's only two times in scripture that Jesus marveled at, uh, at at things. One of them was the faith of this man. Uh, and then the other one was, I believe it was in Mark, possibly, where Jesus was marveled at the unbelief of the folks there in the town. I believe it was in uh, Nazareth, maybe. I'd have, I'm not 100% certain. I'll, I'll look, I had a note on that, but I don't see it. Yeah, no problem. The The term there uh, for marveled is uh, thalmazo in the Greek, and it's actually the term that we derive enthusiasm from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jesus mm-hmm. shows this immense awesome. enthusiasm uh, at this man. So uh, again, this idea of great faith that he sees, and the faith here... The faith here is really important. The faith is in that if Jesus says it, it will be done. Absolutely. Uh, the, the man is not like modern Christians where 
uh, he, he makes up an event that he wants to accomplish and he has faith that it will happen even though God has not said it. Instead, all he has faith in and the faith that Jesus marvels at is that he says, I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me and they do what I say. And all of us, it seems he's saying, all of us are under your authority. If you speak it, it will happen. Mm -hmm. This is an immense level of faith. And so again, I can't stress enough that the object of the man's faith was in what Jesus said. If Jesus spoke it, it would be done. It was not, there was no particular thing. Of course, he wanted his servant to be healed. Of course, he wanted those things. But what we see expressly stated is if you say it, Right. If you say this, yes, it's going to be. You say the word. Done. He knew that Jesus did not even have to touch this man. No, he did not even have to touch him. That, as you said, at his very word. So this is, and and we we see that. I mean, it it. My mind harkens back to, uh, to uh, creation and the Genesis account and 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 the word of God and and how powerful that that. That, that the word of God is and Jesus is the word he's yes. he's the and and I I'm just amazed by the fact that that this man who my his faith I, I yes it's astounding it, and it I think astounding. that is why Jesus is so enthusiastic he's marveling at this idea I, I also I also think that this conversation points us right back to the philosophy that we have as a church in that Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That is, a message of good news is the power unto the salvation of all those who will believe. Mm-hmm. It's God's word again. He speaks, it has this power, and so it has the power to, to, um, to shine light to darkened or dim eyes. And and the same thing is happening. He has the power to speak and a servant is healed. And so in verse 10, we see it. Uh, we it, it doesn't even, nothing even transpires except for Jesus marvels at such great mm-hmm, faith. And mm-hmm. verse 10 says, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. It was done. It was done. <laughs> uh, verse 11, soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Always keep in mind these, uh, these people groups. It's really important. Uh, now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. So Jesus... We've got his disciples. That's a pretty large crowd. And then another large crowd. Those are just, they're, they're curious about this. And now we have a widow in a funeral procession and a sizable crowd from the city, which is following her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Now, uh, amazing, amazing reality here. She didn't ask for anything. Right. Nobody's run to Jesus for anything. Right. This is a funeral procession. Mm-hmm. Nothing is happening here. And so we go from one expression of great faith to no mention of anyone's faith in this. So look at what happens. It says that Jesus has compassion on her and says, do not weep. Now, one of the reasons Jesus is going to have compassion is because contextually, the widow who is now lost uh, her son, and this is the only son, 
Uh, now she is destitute. Yeah. She There's nobody for her. So the one that was to take care of her, you know, they, they weren't popping up, uh, they weren't popping up uh, assisted care facilities right. all around Jerusalem yes. at the time or all around this area. So in Nain, um, so what's happening here is that she is now destitute in verse 14, and he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. That phrasing is really important. He, mm-hmm. she, Jesus gave him back to his mother because this is a source of life. Her only means of support. Her only means of support. So in the scriptures, when it says the true and undefiled religion is this, that we take care of the widow and the orphan and the poor, Jesus shows a kingdom reset here when he says, mm-hmm. okay, here's your son back. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about mm-hmm. it. Now, we, we could, of course, run this to a, a an absurd level and say, well, why doesn't everybody get raised from these particular situations or those? In this situation, what we have to remember is that, number one, Jesus is showing himself to be Lord of creation. Mm-hmm. This is what mm-hmm. he is showing himself to be. Number two, the commission given to the church is take care of the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Yes. The commission given to the church says this, if they lost their son, you have become that to them. Mm. You are their family. Who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? Those who fear and do the will of my father. This is our call. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so why doesn't everybody get raised from the dead? Because we, we also have a job to do. Yeah, We are called right. to live this out. So there's, there's a lot of power in these there's words. So much. And it, it is, it's, uh, what, what I find amazing is just, all, just some of the detail of the things, the amount of the people, the sizable crowd, it says... Uh, that that was there, and in our our customs today, like if you're driving down the road and you see a funeral, you're go, you pull your car over. These people in that day, they would have joined in the funeral procession, the funeral march. That was that would have been showing respect for the dead. So you've got a lot of people there, and Jesus comes up and touches that, and and again. I, Jewish Jewish people did not touch dead dead people. They no. didn't. They would not. It would it would make them unclean. So he touches this this man, and 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 it says I I I love the wording in in verse fourteen. He came up and touched touched the coffin. Now we'll that, let me just stop there for just a second. Generally, Jews did not have a coffin a box like the like the Romans did and like the Babylonians did and the Greeks did. Theirs was more, they were wrapped and they were laid on, a, laid on a board to be carried out. But it says that the bearers, the people who were carrying this board with this dead man's body on it, came to a halt. And, and, and I can imagine the drama that's about to, about to happen here when Jesus touches this thing and says, Young man, I say to you, arise. I, 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 cannot, I cannot imagine what the people that were around, a sizable crowd, would have thought, seeing this man rise up and start talking, oh my goodness. Yeah, the, 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 the way this plays out, 
Um, if we were to transpose this into the 21st century, uh, many of us might be thinking somebody walked into a funeral parlor and he just lays his hand on the coffin. Uh, but this is a procession. There, yeah. There's a moment that's happening almost to the burial site. This yes. would be more like Jesus cruises up in a car and stops the line of yeah. traffic. Going to the cemetery. Going to the cemetery, jumps out and does this whole situ- situation. Yeah. And so, of course, they come to a halt. Yes. They're, they're struck by this. But then verse 16 yeah. is amazing. Fear gripped them all. It would have gripped me. It would absolutely <laughs> grip me as well. So fear grips them all. And they began, and this is this wording is amazing. They began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. But I, in particular, I love this line. And God has visited his people. Mm. But that word visited is intriguing because the word visited is literally translated, God has cared yeah. for his people. Yeah. Wow. Um, we, we've, we saw this at the beginning. God is showing care. He cared for the mother. She was a widow. He cared for her. He has cared for his people now. And the, the testimony of the witnesses, all those people in that funeral procession, the testimony of those witnesses was that a great prophet has arisen among us. They were waiting for the, mm-hmm. for the prophet in the line of Moses, in the likeness of Moses. And God has visited his people and through miraculous events, sure. but, but God has vis- visited his people. The testimony of the witnesses is a very powerful yes. testimony. This harkens back. I think when they made the statement about the prophet, I, 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 I see uh, that uh, in the Old Testament, you have Elijah and Elisha, both were involved in people and raising people from the dead. And, and I wonder if, if what was in their mind at this time, I, it, when, when, they say, when they say a prophet, they're missing the Messiah piece of this to a certain extent. Uh, and, 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 and then, but then they, they, they go right back and God has visited his people and cared for his people, as you've said. And I, I, I'm just, I, it's, it's fun to try and and uh, recount some of the things that were going on in their head, but my goodness, what a what a storyline, what a what an impactful thing to see this and and the compassion that Jesus showed to give this man back to back to his mother, her her very source of life. She yes. he had just given back not only to him but to her. Yeah, I think when we start to talk about things like contextualizing a a passage of scripture, we are asking the question, or we should be asking the question, what does this mean to them? What is is happening in this generation, in this time? Uh, We read this in the 21st century, and and it seems like there's just somebody going around raising people from the dead, but there is more meaning to it. And again, yes. it's life back uh, from the dead for this mother as well, because otherwise she is destitute. So, so Jesus himself leads the way in true and undefiled religion. I think that that's a major takeaway mm-hmm. that we should see in that. Yes. Verse 17 follows naturally, report concerning Jesus went out all over Judea and all the surrounding yeah. district. Uh, I, I suppose so. I would imagine. Um, and guess what? They did it without a 24-hour news cycle. So Absolutely there you right. go. So next we have this. Uh, we have this situation with uh, with John the Baptist and his disciples, and it is one that causes a whole lot of questions. So yes, it just does. kind of set the stage for it. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things, summoning two of his disciples. John sent them to the Lord saying, 
Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Now, they they got the question down, mm-hmm. right? They, they got that down perfectly. The thing that I want to draw everybody's attention to is that John is the one who sent them. Yep. It does not say that disciples of John went to Jesus. John is the one who sent mm-hmm, them, mm-hmm. and John told them what to ask. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't yeah, John so the cousin of Jesus? I mean, isn't he leaping in the womb yes. back, in the, back in the beginning of Luke? And, and, he, and at this point... He's in prison. He is. He's still. Uh, Herod had put him in jail, uh, and he was still in jail and spent. I believe it was about eighteen months. So this was obviously before he was killed. But he he's in jail, and 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 you. If you look at uh, at the question that he asked, and then the, and then the answer. I love the answer, but but I, I don't know. We we can only speculate on what was going on inside of John's mind. But he's been in jail for quite a while at this point, and and I don't I, I, speculation purely speculation. I, I don't know if John is thinking, my, if he was if he was the Christ, maybe it should, wouldn't he be getting me out of this jail, or would there be other things going on? But it seems to be that that Jesus would have known exactly what what was going on here because and we we go on to verse uh, twenty one. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And then he answered John's (laughs) disciples and said, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The gospel, the the poor have been have the gospel preached to them. These are all things that Isaiah said that the Messiah was going to do. Absolutely. So Jesus is answering him completely from what the scripture said he would do. Yeah, and and not to miss verse twenty three, Jesus also after saying the poor have the gospel preached to them, he says, "Blessed is he who does not take offense." Oh yeah, at that's me. a whole other thing, right? So so there's something about this that Jesus is trying to communicate to John that says, "Don't be offended at mm-hmm. what is taking place." Um, again, the New American Commentary says that while Jesus's contemporaries shared an expectation of the coming of the messianic figure. They were confused and uncertain about what this would be like. So what we're dealing with is not a claim about a person, but what is supposed to happen. And Jesus didn't fit the common expectation very well. Not very okay? well. So we, we talked in the in the um, the series uh, of Advent leading up to Christmas, and we were talking about the fact that Jesus is uh, and was and was intended to be a conquering king. The question is, did he conquer the way they expected him to conquer? My argument and my uh, my proposition to the church is that Jesus is on the throne. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, therefore, here's my commands. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is in control. Jesus is king. Uh, but and and so he is a conquering king. He's conquering in a unique way. Mm-hmm, There's a mm-hmm. unique way. There is a there is a mission of the church, a gospel message. There is love and forgiveness, and then there is and then there is a warning mm-hmm. that God is the God of justice, and He will take care of those things. But I think the New American Commentary records it well that says Jesus just seemed to not fit 
their common expectations. Right. And so it goes on and says, thus John's question is understandable. For Luke and his readers, however, uh, there, was l- there was little question about whom Jesus was referring to in his question, or whom John was referring to in his question. Mm-hmm. John was asking if Jesus was the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God. This is what he's asking. Mm-hmm. He's, he's point blank. And Jesus seems to say that the answer is found in this. Tell John what you've heard. Yeah. The blind have received sight. Oh, this seems to be a prophetic fulfillment. As yep. a matter of fact, Absolutely. it is a prophetic fulfillment. Isaiah 35. Yep. Uh, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf uh, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Last but not least, the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is Isaiah 61. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're not, there's, there is a framework that Paul, or that, that Paul, that John the Baptist is living in. And when he hears even these phrases, he connects the dots. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting down with Bob Girding, and Bob asked the question, you know, why why is it that the angels wouldn't just say to Mary or say to Elizabeth, um, just as Isaiah said, and then quote the Old Testament scripture? And and I said to Bob, I said, I think I think the reason for this is because uh, their their level of understanding as first century Jewish people was that they would know what Isaiah said. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have to be so bold and say, you know I'm quoting from Isaiah right now, right? <laughs> they, the angel wouldn't have to say that. Right. The same thing. Jesus says, the blind receive sight and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And bells are going off in John's yes. mind yes. saying... Yes, he is who he says he is. He he really is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. He is saying this because, he, because this is what was prophesied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He knows who he is, and now I know who he is. Absolutely. So. In this case, uh, Jesus had met the criteria that John had in his mind. Uh, now. We, we can go back and say, well, there were many other folks at that time who had a different expectation of Christ. And you talked about that. It was a, they had an expectation that they were going to get rid of the Romans. They were going to get their land back. They were going to do all those things. But that, that was not, that was not what Jesus came to do. It's exactly what he's told John that he, that he had come to do. And I, I really love, I, I do love verse 23. It is, uh, I think it's almost like he's given them the uh, beatitudes just prior to this. I think maybe he come up with, I, I, I like a shirt that said, blessed is he who does not take offense at Jesus. Yeah. Well, I need that just as a preacher. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that would be helpful. But, but it is amazing. It is amazing that Jesus seems to answer John's question and then give him some sort of consoling words to say, John, blessed are you. Don't don't take offense at me, what I'm doing. They are going to. Yes. They are going to. Yes. The Pharisees are going to. The people at large are going to. You don't. So, yes. so uh, there's a lot, again, a lot to be said yep. about this, but let's, let's roll on and find out uh, what happens next. When the messengers of John had left... He, Jesus, began to speak to the crowds about John. And my goodness. I love this. I, I wish that John's messengers would have stuck around to hear sure. what Jesus says yes. about John, because they could have gone back and been like, dude, he likes you. Yeah. You know, I mean, he like you're <laughs> he the really man. You know, you. he really honored you here. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, What do you go what did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Yes, I say to you, and and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. But then he shares this line. Yet he who is the least in the kingdom mm-hmm. of God is greater than he. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm marveling at the idea that that. Jesus turns to the crowds who are following him. So he's got his disciples. He's got crowds who are following him. They're wanting to hear his teaching and they're wanting to come for healing. We've got all of these references that that communicate this is their motive or this is their agenda. And he looks at them and says, you know, we're talking about John because John's disciples just asked me a question. But but let me ask you a question. What what did you go out to see mm-hmm. when John was mm-hmm. announced? You didn't go out to see a king. Yeah. They're in palaces. No, no, no. You, you went out to see a prophet, right? You went out to see a prophet. And this is what John is. Yeah. He is a prophet, and he's more than a prophet. Mm-hmm. He's the prophet. The prophet. He, he is a guy who was who is fulfilling this very important scripture. And then he says, and he is so great that there's no man born among women who's greater than John. Of course, Jesus excludes himself yeah, exactly. right there, exactly. <laughs> which is fascinating. But he says, there's no, more, uh, no uh, one born of women who is greater than John, and yet... The least in the kingdom is greater than he. There, there, there were so many cool things that Jesus said about John in this case, and I, I think about that, and I keep, I, I went, I went back, and I thought, no, you know, John was a. He, he said, Jesus said, uh, did you go out? He was more than a prophet. Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. He was that. Now, I, I, I would, I would have you guys look at this and see, but I can only see, I see that John was the only prophet that I can tell was a prophesied prophet. Yes. In other words, he w- it was prophesied that this prophet would come. I don't think any other prophet yeah, apart shared from that. Jesus. Apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. Uh, and 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 then I think about the the fact that uh, that John was the forerunner. It it was so so many of the of the things uh uh, John got to say uh, all the other prophets would say he's coming he's coming John said he's here he's yes. here yes so totally different message from John versus the other prophets so I really love the fact that Jesus honored John so much in this scripture and and I, I'm like you I I if it, it, it would have been cool if his if his uh, disciples would have been able to hear yeah, that they're like you got to hear what Jesus is saying back. about you now the fulfillment of this prophecy just in case you want to go for continued study is found in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 behold I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me uh, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And of course, the messenger in whom we delight is Jesus, but but Jesus, Mm -hmm. but John is the messenger who's going to clear the way before him. So Mm -hmm. so we Mm -hmm. see this. But but John is amazing. John is this guy who Jesus says no one is greater than, and yet Jesus slips in this this beautiful line that says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than than John. So we'll explore that a little bit more as we go along. But verse 29, 
when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, mm. having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Mm. And that line right there is an amazing line. The Pharisees and the lawyers, according to the scripture, rejected God's purpose for themselves. Did God, fundamental question, did God want to save them? The answer is yes. yes. And yet they rejected God's purpose for them not being baptized mm-hmm. by John. There is a thing that God desired to do, and this foolish will of man stood in opposition. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mm-hmm. we see this resistance to God's will uh, after we see it before the fall. It, it is the cause of the fall. Adam and Eve don't listen to God and do something different. Um, we see it immediately after the fall. Uh, God tells Cain, he says, sin is crouching at the door. You have to, you have to win over it. Cain does not win over it. We see the same thing play out throughout human history, and and yet one of the great arguments is, well, then it wasn't God's purpose to save them. Here we have it. Mm-hmm. It says that it was it was God's purpose for them yes. to be saved, and yet they have uh, they have rejected they rejected uh, God's purpose. And 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 look who accepts it. Looks who look who accepts the the justice of God. The it says the. All the people and the tax collectors, mm-hmm. all these folks that that uh, that uh, had been that were shunned by men, finally realized that th- this is that. Well, first of all, they had been baptized with the baptism of John, so they had repentance they had repented, yes. and and they were so they were well on the path. But it's isn't it funny that the very people that should have known didn't know and the and the ones who probably wouldn't wouldn't have known knew and got what John was doing now notice this and you're spot on they it is backwards yes. the people who are getting this versus the people who should yes. but aren't getting it yes. right but man I'm telling you verse 29 it's a powerful verse because here's what he says he says they acknowledged God's justice. You notice they didn't, it doesn't say they acknowledge God's love. Here's why. It it wasn't till the 1950s that the predominant message, I know that this is hard to believe for people. (laughs) It was not until the 1950s until we had a a man by the name of Bill Bright who came on the scene and kind of put the gospel in a sales pitch kind of fashion where the message was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan Mm -hmm. for your life. Mm -hmm. All throughout Christian history, the message was repent and believe for God. God yes. is a saving God. He is. He wants to redeem you. And here, these people heard the message of John, which said, repent and believe, and they did. And what the scripture says is that they acknowledged God's justice. Yes. And they were baptized. Yes. In today's gospel ministry, it is really important. It is good news. It is good news. It is also a fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But here is the real good news. God is not counting your sins against you. Repent and believe. Absolutely. That is the greatest news I've ever heard. It it, is... it is foreign news. Let's just kind of put this in some in some file folders here. It is foreign news for you to tell me 
that a God that I previously did not know loves me. That's not good or bad news. It's Mm -hmm. foreign news. I don't even know what you're trying to say to me. What is good news is when you say that the God who created all things, the God uh, against whom we have sinned and fallen short, Mm -hmm. has decided to not count my sins against me, as the Apostle Paul would say, and forgive me, and he does so simply by trusting him. Mm-hmm. That is good news. That is, that good is news. accepting his justice yes. by repenting and believing. We don't see the justice of God as something to be grateful for. And, and, and you're right. We, we live in a world where we, uh, as, and I don't want to go down that path, but I, it, it, is, it is absolutely, uh, I, I'll, it's I'll just, just love, love, it's love, love all the time, and, and that's and, good. And, and we should know that we we should know that God does love us. But my goodness, when we realize that the justice of God said that we had to pay for our sins, and and His mercy and grace says, "I've got this." His mercy and grace, not anything we not can do. We could do. It and is amazing. we've both we've both marveled at this many times that He who knew no sin yeah. became oh, sin. My that we might become the righteousness of God. There's so much packed in that statement yes. that we will spend the rest of our lives trying to understand it. Yeah. So so as we continue on, verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Mm-hmm. God was clear. He wanted them. They rejected it, not having been baptized by John. Verse 31, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation? Jesus is speaking again. And what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another. And they say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard. So, in other words, you can't win with you guys. A friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Yeah. Wow. So what a statement. I well first, I will I, I this intrigues me. Uh, 35. I I I had to really I rolled that around in my head for probably 25 minutes. And it, it, it's the wise man or the wise woman is proved to be wise. Uh, this is what I get out of this. This is my take on it. Yeah. By their wise actions. So the wise man or the wise woman is Absolutely. proven wise by their wise actions. So that's what Jesus, I believe, is saying to these folks. And and, and I think Jesus has what what an indictment he has read against these folks here when he said, "Hey, we song we 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 mourned and you didn't weep. We sang a, a song of sorrow and you didn't weep." And, and, and we played the flute. We played a happy song and you didn't dance. What more can we do yes. for you? What can we do? And, and I am just amazed at, well, Jesus as God and, and, do, and doing and saying all these things, he hit them in the heart of, of what they were thinking and what they were doing. And I, I, I would have to believe that they knew exactly what he meant by every word that came yes. out of his mouth. Yes. Every word. Uh, another commentary piece on this, just just 
for the sake of study, for the sake of just uh, provoking thought in your brains. But um, the New American Commentary says that the parable, the parable that Jesus says, they are like children who sit in the marketplace. It says the parable involves the following components. Number one, children who represent Jesus's contemporaries sitting in the marketplace, and two, other children who represent Jesus and John the Baptist, mm-hmm. inviting the first group of children to play. The first group, however, finds neither the ascetic uh, John nor the non-ascetic Jesus to their liking. In other words, the invitation is from John, right? So who is John? John is the one who came eating no bread and drinking no wine. He's mm-hmm. the ascetic, mm-hmm. if you will. He wasn't. But And and what do they do with his message? They go, you're demon-possessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a demon. Uh, Jesus comes. He's eating and drinking. And instead of coming to him and saying, this is a guy we can hang out with, this is a guy who we can listen to, instead they point the finger at him. He's a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors yeah. and sinners. Um, <laughs> but here's the power, and again, that's that's the verse that you're talking about, yet wisdom is vindicated mm-hmm. by all her children. Mm-hmm. Those actions, uh, the actions are going to play out and they're going to show uh, they're going to show what is true. And Jesus is saying here, here I mean, and the, the, the concept of this is that neither John nor Jesus' message was necessarily popular and wasn't accepted. So they certainly weren't going to accept the messengers. They didn't, they, they didn't accept what they had to say. They certainly didn't care for them. So this is quite an amazing story, quite an amazing uh, verses. Uh, it, it, it's, it sparks thought and, and question. And, and, uh, as Nathan, you know, Nathan has said, we, if I, I it, there's more to this, but if, if you have other things that come to your mind, we'd certainly like yeah, to hear them. Absolutely. So then verse 36 speaks to just what you said. It provokes thought. One of the Pharisees was like, Hey, Hold on a second. Yes. (laughs) He was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, what are his motives? Let's try to see this. Let's try to see it play out. Maybe, uh, Maybe we'll figure it out. Verse 37, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. What a fascinating title, right? She was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, this is a very intriguing thing for her to enter a Pharisee's house, Mm -hmm. okay? But still, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, so right there, you've got, you've got a little bit of the indication of the intent of the man. Sure. I, think, I think he hears the words of Jesus. He hears Jesus say, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. In this case, the children now are the followers of John and Jesus who will come mm-hmm. after because they will produce fruit. They will be the people who show this to be true. He hears this message and he thinks, I gotta, maybe I gotta check something out mm-hmm. here, right? But then he does what what even many of us do, and that is he sees Jesus taking care of those who we view as dirty or filthy. He he sees Jesus 
uh, interacting with her, if you will. And he says, if this man were a prophet, he thought maybe he was, and now he's starting to doubt. He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching mm-hmm. him, that she is a sinner. So we, we even have an inquisitive Pharisee, and yet he's still a judgmental mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, individual in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Just by way of a little bit of a cultural background, how, how this woman even ended up in this Pharisee's house, these, these uh, meals and, and these meetings were were typically, they were somewhat of an open affair. The doors were opened up to the house. Those that wanted to come in could come in. Uh, they generally, there was the main table where that the guests that had been called, the honored guests, if you will, had been called. And that, so this Pharisee and uh, Jesus would have been there at that table. But all around this, and this man was obviously, he was probably well off and had enough uh, uh, resources to be able to provide food on tables around the outside. So it wouldn't have been unusual. Now, that being said, it would have been unusual for a woman who was, uh, in this case, the, the Pharisee knew her as a known sinner. Now, we can speculate. It doesn't say that she was a prostitute, but that's what seems to be alluded to, and, and there's, uh, there's other uh, things that would make us believe that. Some people, commentators, believe it to be Mary, Mary Magdalene, but, but they're, they're, it, the Scripture's not clear on that. Yeah. So, how, However, the Pharisee knew this woman was a sinner, and in his mind, he said, if Jesus were anybody... Uh, namely a prophet, he would have known she was a sinner as well. Yes. And he wouldn't be allowing him to do what she's doing. It just, this is, this is quite an amazing this, story. This is an amazing story. And then, and then we, of course, see this woman um, uh, with her alabaster jar and perfume. And, and it, it's just a little bit of historical study, but we, we, can, we can very accurately conclude that the cost of the jar of perfume in that day, uh, plenty of the elder is recorded as uh, as talking about these kind of perfume containers, and there were thousands of these containers that have been found through archaeological studies and mm-hmm. and, and digs. Um, but that the that the perfume in a jar like this would equal somewhere around three hundred denarii. That was the cost of the perfume in this. Wow. But what's interesting is that that a denarii was um, what was it? It was a year's. It was a, a day's wages or a week's wages. I think. I think it was a day. I, I said so briefly, quite a sum a year. of money, but a, a full day's wages. Now think about this: three hundred denarii is an enti- almost an entire year's worth of wages. Sure. Yeah. And this perfume, she goes and she lays it out on Jesus' feet and she is anointing him with perfume. Now we're going to see a little bit later on what plays out from this, but I think what's what's important to recognize here is there is a way in which this situation and, and the amount of money that it takes is a very literal thing. Uh, elsewhere, we see a parable where we talk about the, um, we talk about uh, the, the, the parable of the stewards and and how they steward the master's money and some of the figures that are given in that are absurd figures. There are lifetimes worth of wages or seventy lifetimes worth of wages, depending on the translation that you're using. And, and the point that I bring up there is that those parables were intended to communicate something far bigger. What this is communicating is a true and genuine sacrifice on this woman's behalf. Mm-hmm. She's given something that was very costly. Now, how she got that. Mm-hmm. is, of course, 
yeah. pretty implied yes, here, absolutely. right? It's, it's pretty implied how she got that money. But nonetheless, she returns uh, her sinful behavior and the, and, the, and the money that was gained from that sinful behavior, and she pours it out as an offering of praise to Jesus. I heard a pastor say one time, um, there's only one thing that we can bring to God that he does not already possess, and that is our sin. He doesn't possess sin. Right. So we bring wow. to him our sin. And what are we doing? We are repenting. We're laying it at his feet and we're turning and going the other way. So so how does this all play out? Well, we mm-hmm. start in verse 40 to see it, but I want to make sure that if you have any other thoughts, you chime in. No, there. I, th- I think that's great. I, I think we've uh, this uh, Pharisee was uh, Simon, and he, he, he somewhat alludes to the fact that this woman, they, and you... Yes. said it, it was this, this money may have been ill-gotten gain. Uh, so he says, if this man were prophet, he would have known what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is yes. a sinner. He, so he she's unclean she's to t- him. Absolutely yes, right. Absolutely. So verse 40 goes on and says, and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Mm. And he replied, say it, teacher. And Jesus answers, with a parable. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so Jesus says a moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii. Now think about that. We're talking about denarii. We're talking about a day's worth of wages. He he had over a year's worth of wages yeah. that he owed. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Uh, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? <laughs> and Simon is no fool. No. Simon answers and says, I, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Mm. Now, picture this playing out in your mind. He's, he's turning to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon still. He says, do you see this woman? He's, he, his gaze is fixed on her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. He said, ritual cleansing, a a normal thing, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. This is a sign of fellowship. But since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but but she anointed Jesus, my feet, with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many... Jesus has no problem Mm -hmm. acknowledging that. And I don't think the woman does either. Absolutely. Have been forgiven for she loved much. Now look at that line. She loved much. Yes, Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about Mm -hmm. where our love goes? It is in this devotion to Jesus. And how did her love play out? We just read it. Mm -hmm. She repented. She is weeping. She is coming to him. And then he says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. He's, he's never broken eye contact with this woman, mm-hmm. or at least not stopped looking at, at her. Point. Whether or not she's looking at him, she's probably right. like the... She's probably still on her face. She's probably still on her face. She's like the sinner saying, I can't look up to heaven. Yeah. God, I'm unworthy. Verse 49, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, mm-hmm. who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And her faith was simply in the object. It was in the man, right. Christ Jesus. There's so many pictures here. There's so many things that, that are noteworthy. Uh, and, and, and he, 
first of all, you, you mentioned that, that he finally turns to this woman. It would have been a sign of respect for Jesus to face the, man's, the man whose house he was in at that time. And he, it seems like he did that uh, up until the time. Uh, that that he that he gave him the answer, and that's when Jesus turned to the woman, and his focus, his 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 entire focus was on was on this woman at that point. So there's so many things that that are that are noteworthy in this, and the fact that that uh, uh, she he said uh, that her sins, which are many, I, she, we don't record. We don't have anything that says she said a word during any of this. Doesn't say that she did. My goodness, for to have Christ stand before you and look at you, I I can I can see that picture in my head. And, and it's humbling even uh, it there. It is humbling. Right? My so, goodness. So this picture, as I'm as I'm surveying this story, it, it is it is very um, indicative of the rest of Scripture that would say that God's heart and His attention are focused on the repentant, on the humble, on the one who who comes before Him knowing that He can save them, the one of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. With faith, it's implied. It mm-hmm. is pleasing mm-hmm. to God. Um, God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so, What's amazing here is a picture that if if you're really thinking through him focusing his gaze on her, although he's talking to the Pharisee off to the side, although he's talking to this man and teaching him a lesson, the picture of God is that his heart, his attention, his love, his grace, his compassion is for those who repent and believe. Mm-hmm. That is impressive to me because Every day of my life, I realize yes. his attention is yes. on me only in that moment, only in those times, only because of a surrender that says, I can't do this yes. without you, Lord. Yes. Yes. That's the faith that he's wanting. That's the desire he has in his heart. And his affections are focused on us in that place. So as Christians, I, I keep thinking that... Um, what is the problem with us walking around in the world, you know, pounding our chest and demanding that everybody understand that we're right and, and that everything else is wrong? Well, the problem might not be in the truth that God is right and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. God is true and every man is a liar. But the problem is in the disposition of the heart. This woman is in a humble place. The Pharisee's the know-it-all. He's the guy who thinks he's got it all figured out. So as Christians, we have a responsibility to walk around in this world. Sure, we have the answer. Sure, we know what is true. But we have no right to a prideful disposition. We have no right Right. to it. Absolutely not. We ought to be a people who say, my father's affections are on me when I'm at his feet. Mm-hmm. I, I shared it yesterday in the podcast. I'll share it again today. But uh, the N.T. Wright quote that just continues to just affect me deeply, and that is, unless we stand humbly in the presence of a living God, uh, of a, a just and even a faithful God, unless we stand humbly in the presence of God, we will not stand boldly mm-hmm. for the world. Yeah. We won't stand bold. We'll stand arrogantly maybe. Yeah. We'll, we'll act all a fool, you know, but we won't, we won't be what he's asked us to What an awesome, awesome thing. I, I love this. This is quite, I just, one quick thing and then we'll end. But I, I, this, this woman who is unnamed and, and who, 
was ashamed uh, by the sin. I mean, for her to even think about going into a Pharisee's house, even though it was an, kind of an open door thing that she went in there, and 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 we don't we don't know her name. We she's we we don't know who this was. There's speculation, but the sinless Son of God knew her name yes. and knew her sin and knew what she had done. And I I'm glad that God. Amen. He's done that for me. Amen. I'm glad Amen. that he has done that for me. I'm grateful. So this is and an awesome story. It is. And, and, and I, I have to say that uh, knowing that here's what he knows of all of us, our sins are many. Yes. Our sins are many. And yet he, his focus, his gaze mm-hmm. is on us. Mm-hmm. What a powerful thing. Well, it has been uh, quite an amazing hour. Uh, in just Luke chapter seven, we're gonna we're gonna continue on uh, tomorrow in Luke chapter eight, and we're gonna finally catch up with ourselves over the weekend and and get back on the on the track for uh, for where we're going as a church. We are truly encouraged by the questions that are coming, by the thoughts that are coming, um, by the the statements of of confirmation, by some of the. Uh, the questions, they're really, really been good. And so we're going to keep those going. So definitely keep them coming. You can email us at piercepointchurch at gmail.com. You can email me at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com or barney at barneyestes at yahoo.com. Is it dot com or dot org? Dot com. Dot com. Awesome. So, um, well, it's been good and we appreciate it. We hope you have a great day. God bless you guys.